The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about healthcare investing. My guest is Barron's healthcare reporter, Josh Nathan Cases, with an update on COVID vaccines and treatments, the latest earnings news from the pharma sector, and more. Welcome, Josh. Glad to have you back on Barron's Live. Great to be here. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. So let's begin, as usual, with a look at the COVID landscape. Omicron seems to have peaked, which is really amazing news. What else is happening out there? Put this yeah, so into look, context for us. So, so, so uh, you know, as, as you say, the number of new cases, the average number of new cases per day has peaked and is down a lot. Um, it's down, it's basically half what it was two weeks ago. You know, that said, um, hospitalizations uh, are still at one of the highest points of the pandemic and deaths are, are up. I mean, they're still climbing. You know, as we know, um, deaths are a trailing indicator and, and hospitalizations are too, uh, you know, after cases. Um, so, you know, it, it, in one sense, the peak of, of this particular wave has passed. On the other, uh, on the other, in another sense, we're still really in the thick of it. I mean, people are still... Um, dying uh, of, of cases right. they receive. So, right. so, you know, um, it feel, it may feel good and it may feel like we're, we're on our way towards something better, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not quite over yet. Um, but I think there's a growing sense that at least the U S could be in for a bit of a breather, uh, at some point in the next few weeks, um, cases are down globally as well. Um, but the, uh, you know, the WHO has, uh, <laughs> Sorry, cases are, are down globally as well. So, so you know, it, 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 it varies on a country-by-country country basis. It varies on a state-by-state state basis. Um, but things are feeling a lot better now than they were the last time we spoke. All right. Put the champagne on ice, but don't open it yet. <laughs> is the message I'm getting. We're moving in the right direction, but this is not an all clear sign. So moving on, babies and toddlers seem to be next in line to get a COVID vaccine if the FDA actually authorizes the latest Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Bring us up to speed on what's happening in the world of childhood vaccines. Yeah, so this is actually pretty unusual. Like, as, as people will remember, or may not remember, but it, but as happened in mid-December, uh, Pfizer and BioNTech had some, like, not great news about uh, COVID vaccines for people under five. They said, um, essentially, that the immune responses they were seeing in their trial of two- to five-year-olds were not as good as the sort of baseline response of 16 to 25 year olds. Um, they, they were as good in the six month to two year old category. So what had happened was, was that Pfizer was trying um, a much lower dose uh, for this young age group, you know, as is appropriate um, uh, than they were for the older children and for adults, uh, adults are um, 10, uh, whatever, we don't need to get into the details. But what Pfizer said was be because the immune response in these two to five-year-olds wasn't wasn't good enough or wasn't up to the bar that they had 
um, set at for 16 to 25 year olds, they're going to try a third dose. Now we don't, there is no data on that third dose yet. They're, they're still administering that and measuring that. But they said that the FDA had asked them to submit data towards a, expanding the EUA, the emergency youth authorization for children aged six months to, to five years, up to five years. Um, uh, they, so that the data they have for those first two doses with the understanding that they would then submit data on the third dose once they have it. Um, so the timeline is that uh, the FDA's advisory committee is going to meet to consider this on February 15th. So we'll have some data from the FDA and from Pfizer probably on the 13th. Pfizer has not yet completed submitting um, its, its request, but they said yesterday that it would take a day or so. So maybe they have now and they haven't told us, but um, that's basically happening right now. You know, yesterday the, the FDA put out a statement clarifying sort of that, um, although they'd requested Pfizer to put this request in, they'd asked Pfizer to put this request in, um, you know, they weren't saying they would definitely authorize it. They said that we think this um, advisory committee meeting we're having on the 15th is an important moment to sort of um, air the data and show what we have and, and then make a decision. Uh, so I, I would say it's like pretty unusual um, for the FDA to be considering authorizing a vaccine when, when for like the first two doses without knowing how good the immune response is going to be after three doses. You know, they've said that Pfizer has said there's no safety issues. Um, but it just seems like a strange situation. And so we'll see what happens on the 15th and what the vaccine advisors think. You know, notionally, the CDC's vaccine advisors would also need to meet to discuss this. They have a meeting scheduled for a few days after that uh, FDA meeting, but um, they're going to discuss other things there. So the timing is not exactly clear. Um, so uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a sure thing that the FDA will say yes to this, um, but it is an indication of the desperation of parents of young children and, and also of this period where in the pandemic where people just want it to be over already. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot to balance when you're talking about vaccination vaccines for young children, you know, they're generally at lower risk than other populations. However, you know, as the CDC has flagged just a number of weeks ago, um, uh, childhood hospitalizations for COVID are higher than, or were a few weeks ago, higher than they had been at any other point in the pandemic. Part of that, is likely because um, there are just more cases, um, but there were certainly concerns that the CDC director and others aired at the time that potentially, and they didn't know, but potentially um, uh, that the 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 Omicron variant was maybe more dangerous for children than previous variants had been. So there's obviously a lot of concern, and um, and uh, I don't think we can really prejudge what the FDA is going to do here. And a lot of pressures on the FDA from all different sides. Sure. Yeah. And, and the companies do to, to Yeah. Do. Really a tough one. I was curious as we were talking about vaccines, what the latest thinking is on giving people a fourth vaccine or a second booster. Has there been much to say about that? Are people talking about it? Yeah. You know, I mean, a number of weeks ago, there was a, a, a bunch of news where um, the Moderna CEO like said at some conference, or I, I forget where he said it, that, uh, you know, a fourth dose could come later this year. I mean, certainly annual boosters have been part of the conversation from Pfizer and Moderna for a long time, Israel started giving fourth doses. And then there there was some report that, in fact, um, it didn't look as good. I mean, it didn't seem to be helping as much as they'd hoped. Um, and there have been some public health officials and, and others who have argued that, you know, uh, it's not guaranteed that it's actually going to help 
the immune response to keep giving um, these 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 boosts um, in short time frames. So the short answer is we really don't know. It's certainly a question. It's certainly being looked at. You know, the other thing being looked at, obviously, is Omicron specific booster doses, which Moderna said January 26th it had begun testing, and Pfizer said on January 25th. Um, you know, both companies have said those are not needed now, but could be important in the future. Um, so, so both those companies are working on those. I, I don't think we can say what's going to happen. I'd be surprised if the U.S. started giving out, you know, a fourth dose for um, for everybody very soon. But um, certainly not out of the question that it could happen. Right, or or it could be next year considered a booster, like the yeah. Well, we could we could move to an annual booster situation, yeah. but uh, we're not we're not there yet. But um, that's certainly what the companies have been considering. You know, Moderna's kind of we can get back to this later, but Moderna's put a lot of uh, effort into this notion of a pan-respiratory virus vaccine booster where they would include flu and 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 COVID. So it's certainly um, part of the conversation and the plans of these companies, but I, I don't think we know yet that it's definitely going to happen or there will definitely be one in the next few months. We don't know yet a lot of things in the realm of COVID. I think that's the bottom line. Right. Thanks for that update. I wanted to talk for a moment about where things stand on the therapeutic front. There have been a number of companies Working on COVID therapeutics, some have worked out, some have not. Who are the front runners these days? Yeah, well, the, the major update here, well, there have been a couple, but but one big one is that, um, I guess it was a week ago Monday, uh, the FDA effectively said that only one of the three authorized monoclonal antibody therapeutics for COVID is still authorized, and that is the um, the, the monoclonal antibody therapeutic from um, GlaxoSmithKline and, and Veer, Um What's it called? I think it's Veer Therapeutics. Yes. Um, so no more Regeneron. Right. So they basically said, so the Regeneron and, and Eli Lilly um, monoclonal antibody therapies don't seem to work as well against Omicron. They had actually stopped distributing them. These are all paid for and distributed by the U.S. government. They'd mm-hmm. stopped distributing them in December, and then they started again, and now they're stopping. And they've, they've, they've changed the EUAs, so it's only um, uh, authorized in situations where there is not a lot of Omicron circulating. And right now, because it's all Omicron all over the U.S., they're not authorized anywhere. Um, And so that that seemed to make sense, although there was some political opposition um, from Florida governor who had has 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 um, put a lot of emphasis on the monoclonal antibody therapies. Uh, The other thing to mention is the the antivirals. You know, as we've talked about, there's now this Pfizer antiviral and a Merck antiviral. Merck antiviral is authorized only where other alternatives are not available. Both of them are being distributed in the U.S. Supplies are limited. Uh, and and there's been a lot of anecdotal reports about how it's challenging to find uh, Pfizer specs a at this point. But um, um, Merck, we can come back to this later, but Merck this morning had uh, their earnings. Uh, and I'm just scrolling down here. They, they said that they'd sold $950 million worth of molnupiravir, their antiviral in the fourth quarter. And they're expecting five to six billion in sales of it next year. So that's basically no impact um, of the less than enthusiastic um, FDA authorization. But they're they're talking a lot about global use of this this pill. Interesting. And where does Pfizer's antiviral stand? Yeah, they haven't recorded uh, reported earnings yet, so I uh, I don't know what they're thinking at this point. But certainly, it is a you know, there's major major demand for this drug. People think it can be a huge drug for Pfizer. Yeah, That's what I've heard. for sure. And, I, you know, I don't have the top of my head. They, they have previously said what they expect to sell 
um, this year. I, I, I just don't, don't remember it or I, I don't remember it, but it is, it's a massive, massive drug. And when you sort of combine that with, uh, with their vaccine, which is also expected to sell a very many number of millions of dollars of, um, doses, uh, millions of dollars for the revenue this year, uh, you get a very large number. Sorry. I know. I don't right. have that number in front of me. No, a it's, a, it's a massive development for Pfizer is really the punchline here. It's quite amazing. So I, I want to talk, though, about Moderna. You were following Moderna before most people had even heard of the company or its mRNA technology. You wrote a positive piece. I think it was back in 2019 when the stock was in the teens. And the success of the company's COVID vaccine propelled it to almost $500 a share. Now, of course, it's given up most of those gains. And investors want to know how to think about the stock. And I thought you had a superbly nuanced analysis in last weekend's magazine. And for those who missed it, I am hoping you can give a summary now about sure. how to think about Moderna. Yeah, thank you. And that's very kind. Yeah, so I, I did I did have a cover story about mRNA technology generally um, touched on Moderna and Translate Bio, a company that's now been bought by Sanofi. That was in, I guess, August or September of 2019. We we, we, we ran a piece, um, or I wrote a, a piece, um, a positive piece about the stock last April. At that point, the stock was about $168 a share. Um, it had wavered for a number of months. Um, there were a number of you know, uncertainties about its, its prospects. It then climbed to, as you said, about $500 a share early in August. And now it's back down to about $167 a share. That's not as low. I mean, that's nowhere. That's, you know, well, well above where it was, for example. Right, but well below where it was. But below where it was in, in, in August of 2021. 20, uh, so what we said in the piece is that generally the, the piece over the, this past weekend is that, or what I said, is, is that the case that I made in April still holds that the company you know, the, the sort of nature of, of mRNA means that they have a good shot at repeating their success that they've seen in, in COVID vaccine, you know, in the COVID vaccine, you know, it's a platform. If it worked once, you've sort of done a lot of, done away with a lot of the uncertainty that comes with developing any new drug, and there's a good chance they'll be able to do it again. But I also said that there are a lot of near-term risks and challenges that make this a long-term bet. I mean, you know, just to take a step back, in 2019, there were four big pharmaceutical firms that sold there that shared virtually all of the $33 billion in global vaccine sales. So that's Sanofi, Pfizer, Glaxo and Merck. Glaxo and Merck, or I'm sorry, Pfizer and Merck are in there largely because of uh, two or three very expensive uh, vaccines, but um, Sanofi and, and, and Glaxo just do a huge amount of volume in addition to bringing in a huge amount of revenue in their vaccine divisions. And then the pandemic totally upended, up, upended the business, right? Like Moderna has either sold or contracted to sell $36 billion in vaccines since the start of 2020. That includes contracted sales for 2021. Um, you know, I mean, that that's like an, a, a mind-blowing number. Um, but now, you know, Pfizer, Sanofi, and the others want their want their turf back. So as we I mentioned earlier in the call, you know, Moderna's big plans are this vaccine. It's going to cover flu. It's going to cover um, uh, COVID. And eventually we'll cover things like RSV which is ambitious, but it's, it's tough. And, and, you know, there was early data late last year on the flu vaccine that was fine, but not, not promising, um, or not great. Um, you know, they had some of the same side effects that you see in the MRNA based COVID vaccines and the efficacy didn't look like it was going to be that much better or any better than a comparable, uh, Sanofi vaccine that's already on the market. Um, 
And at the same time, you know, Moderna doesn't have the infrastructure of, for example, Sanofi. You know, Moderna, you know, a couple of years ago, it had like 800 employees, but now it has 3,000, which is a lot of people. But Sanofi's vaccine division alone has 15,000 employees, you know, not including the rest of the company. Um, and that's a, that's a big gap. And when you're selling vaccines in lots of markets dealing with governments that have a lot of regulatory requirements, you, know, you need to do pharmacovigilance in 10 countries. I mean, that, it just takes a big infrastructure that Sanofi has um, and Moderna is still building. Now, we should note, uh, analysts expect Moderna to have basically $25 billion in cash by the end of this year, which is a lot of money. Um, and, and that gives Moderna the opportunity to do the kind of ramp up that would allow them to compete with Pfizer and, um, Sanofi, uh, you know, Pfizer and Sanofi are both working on MRNA based flu vaccines. And if Moderna does get an MRNA based flu vaccine approved, they probably won't be the only one. So it really is going to be a commercial fight. Um, and they're going to need to slug it out with companies that are much larger than them and have been doing this for a much longer time. There's also, you know, some some issues that have come up in the last few months. There's a patent issue um, with a company called Arbutus that is sort of uh, roiling the background. There's also this, this this issue that's happened with the NIH. They got into a big public fight with NIH and some headlines that were really negative for Moderna that um, had to do with credit for a certain aspect of developing the vaccine. It appears as though Moderna has the, the COVID vaccine. Moderna's kind of stepped back. I, I spoke with their president. Um, Stephen Hogue about this, and he says he he argued that it was politicized, but um, and characterized it as a technical disagreement between Moderna that they thought they had time to work out with NIH. But he also acknowledges that the company is still culturally sort of closer to the biotech it, that it was, and that they're still maturing to do. And I think that's the bottom line: the company, both culturally but also in terms of infrastructure, needs to grow up, um, and uh, in order to compete on the scale of these 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 vaccine giants. Um, and it has a lot of money to do it with, but I think that means that a bet on Moderna is necessarily a long-term bet because this transition from the pandemic era vaccine market back to a more normal vaccine market is one in which, you know, Moderna is likely to struggle, um, as it competes with, with these much bigger players. All right. So the stock is 167 today. What do you do? Buy, sell, or hold? Well, I think what we said in the story is is that it it's promising, but it's a it's a really it's if you buy it's a long term it's a real long term buy. It's not right, you know. And and I think we could imagine you know years of uncertainty as the company uses the cash that it's that it's the 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 you know the the cash windfall of the vaccines to bulk up. Um, but it's so not the a cash perhaps prevents it from being a sell because it provides a great opportunity. But somebody buying the stock here or holding the stock here, it seems to me from your story, has to expect a long-term payoff, not not another run up to 500 in the next year. I think that's right. I think that's that's what I was. That that's the argument. Of course, anything could happen in this market, but right. I, <laughs> as we I saw this morning, was, right? <laughs> right. I thought that was a sensible argument. <laughs> anyway, um, let's move on and talk about about pharma company earnings. There are quite a few reporting this week, others next week. And I want to talk about a few of them so far. The news has not been all that good. We'll start with Gilead. But before we do, I want to remind listeners, we will take questions at the end of the call. So please send us your questions. 
and we'll set aside some time to answer as many as we can. So Gilead, Josh, did not um, did not exactly set the world on fire with its earnings on Tuesday night. What happened yeah. and what's the outlook? Well, there, there was sort of a news event that that that, that uh, I think dominated uh, the market reaction, which was that Glaxo announced as the earnings came out that there so that there's a there's a HIV specialty firm called Viv Healthcare that Glaxo owns the majority of their other pharma companies that own pieces of it. Basically, Viv had sued um, Gilead over a drug called Victarvi, which is Gilead's uh, one of Gilead's HIV drugs. It was a patent suit. They'd sued them in a lot of different countries. And the news was that they'd reach a settlement. Gilead's going to pay $1.3 billion to Viv, and Viv is going to get a 3% royalty on future U.S. sales of Victarvi, which took a big chunk out of Gilead's fourth quarter. The EPS for the fourth quarter was 69 cents. The fact that estimate, uh, you know, which obviously hadn't taken into account this settlement was $1.59. So the stock fell um, pretty sharply. Uh, you know, I mean, if you look at the analysts, they weren't really making too much of this. They said it doesn't have an impact on uh, a huge impact on, you know, future earnings. But I think that, um, you know, investors looking at this on Tuesday night and seeing that that big miss and, and this big payout and, you know, the 3% royalty stream for the next number of years uh potentially was um we're not yeah. happy yeah exactly and and so and so it, it it dropped the following day um although i haven't seen it today all right biogen is down about two percent today the company's guidance was short of expectations give us the update there yeah i mean look this is this is the the ongoing uh, agilehelm saga i mean agilehelm mm -hmm. is, is this alzheimer's uh, drug that was the first alzheimer's drug approved in what was it two decades um uh, when it when it was approved last june but there was a lot of controversy the latest is um that the center for medicare and medicaid services which oversees the medicare and medicaid programs ran a very unusual or um uh process or is running an unusual process they don't run these very often to decide how to cover agilehelm you know they very rarely if ever do this for a drug that's already been approved by the fda the idea is that if the fda approves it medicare is going to pay for it but in this case, because of concerns about the efficacy and the evidence for um, Agilehelm, they, they did do it. And they're, as I think, as we said the other week, you know, their um, the, 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 the determination that they put out a number of weeks ago basically said they were not going to cover Agilehelm except for in the narrow cases of people um, participating in certain studies they're going to run. Um, uh, so, so... Uh, that's a big deal. And that's really driven the story. Uh, you know, Biogen is pushing back very hard. Um, this is not a final decision. They're going to come up with a, um, th their final decision is not going to come until April. Biogen is doing their best to change it. But, you know, they, they basically said, first of all, their Agilehelm sales for the quarter were a million dollars short of the effects that consensus estimate of 1.6 million. That's nothing like the miss uh, the previous quarter when I believe the estimate had been $12 million and they sold like $300,000 or something like that. Um, but what Biogen did say is that the, the $500 million in cost cutting, they've previously, previously announced they'll do even more if CMS does not change its decision and if they actually do, um, uh, uh, you know, have their, not if they actually don't cover um, Agilehelm beyond these clinical trials. Um, so the stock is down and, um, you know, uh, this is a company that um, is having some problems. What a reversal of fortune. So yeah. let's let's take a look at Merck, which also reported. Yeah, and I think we mostly uh, mentioned this earlier. It was a slight 
miss um, just in terms of molnupiravir. This is the, as we were talking about the COVID-19 antiviral, they said they've sent it to 25 countries so far um, and that they're expecting five to 6 billion in sales next year, which they say is in line with their previous estimate of five to 7 billion, I'm sorry, five to 6 billion in sales this year, which they say is in line with their previous estimate of five to 7 billion in sales because that estimate included the fourth quarter of 2020 in which they sold $950 million worth of, um, of 2021. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting my, right. my years mixed up here. The bottom line, uh, they, they expect they could sell up to seven, uh, to $6 billion of, of this drug in the current year. Um, they were also asked on the call how strategically important Maldipiravir is. Mm-hmm. When they first put out data on this drug, you know, the stock ran up significantly. Right. Um, shares of vaccine makers dropped substantially. Uh, and then people thought you know, they, it was the magic pill. Yeah. And then they came out with updated data that showed that the efficacy that they originally saw did not hold up uh, quite as much. It's not looking so great. There are also these safety concerns. Um, and so I think the market decided, in fact, this was not going to be a huge drug for Merck, but Merck seems to still expect pretty substantial sales uh, this year, um, I guess, largely outside of the U.S. I don't know, or at least in some significant way outside of the U.S. And they were asked on the call by one of the analysts. In fact, I think the first question was how strategically important this drug is because I think you know early in 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 the news cycle of this we would have said very strategically important um maybe more recently after the FDA authorization which was so limited we would have said not strategically important and you know it seemed like the executive were saying it kind of depends how COVID develops they were uh, emphasizing heavily that um all the fear does work against Omicron and they also talked about how it could work against other coronaviruses so um, they're certainly not dropping this, and um, you know uh, we will uh, we will see what happens. But the stock is down. Yeah, the stock's down about three percent today. So, what other big pharma companies are left to report, and which ones are you going to be watching most closely? I imagine Pfizer is on that list. Yeah, you know Pfizer is always the big one um, these days. I find uh, both because it's an important company that we follow, also because it was what it tells what it tells us about um, how the vaccine. Uh, sales are going, um, and it sort of feels like a bellwether for a lot of um, what else is going on. All right. And when does Pfizer report? Do you happen to remember? I don't. I believe it's next week. Uh, okay. All right. Um, we will leave people to look that up. Yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> I want to um, want to pose some questions from our listeners. AC asks, how are things looking for the next generation of vaccines? reaching countries and regions that still have access issues or populations ready for boosting. Yeah, you know, there have been some developments recently with uh, Novavax. Um, they've gotten made some progress. Uh, um, you know, Pfizer and Moderna are still churning out a lot of doses. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully um, the, you know, the world's really fallen down on this effort of getting the whole world access to vaccines. And it's pretty amazing that we still have substantial, uh, sorry, um, portions of the world that are not not covered by by uh, even even first doses at this point. So, um, you know, it's a really important issue. Right, and we cannot eradicate anything until we until we get more doses out to more people in other countries. So Lee asks, and this is a question on many minds, are there variants that are known of that could present Omicron-like problems? And what are you hearing about the next generation of variants? Um, so look, I, as I've said, I think before, my 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 rule of thumb is not to get worried about other variants 
you know, until the WHO says to worry about other variants. I will say that the director general of the WHO um, two days ago said that they, the agent of the WHO is tracking four sublineages of the Omicron variant, including one called BA2 that's gotten a lot of attention. So, uh, you know, the virus keeps changing and I think making predictions is uh, unwise and foolhardy. I, I think you could not have said that better. So, all right. Um, Bob asks, and this may not be the question for our healthcare analyst, maybe our economics, or rather our healthcare reporter, maybe our economics reporter. But Bob asks, do you think the U.S. will follow the lead of European countries in treating COVID as an endemic and loosen current restrictions? And if so, when might that occur? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, look, I, I there are certainly lot of experts in the past few weeks who are pushing very hard for a loosening of restrictions in the U.S. once the Omicron wave is over, which it's not yet. Um, and they make a number of arguments for this, including that it will allow us to have kind of a breather so that if we need to ramp them up again, you know, you can get buy-in to do it again. Um, I, I, it's an argument you see more and more. There was a Washington Post op-ed about it just the other day. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think this is the live question and I think we're sort of, um, waiting. I mean, look, we are in a different situation than a lot of these European countries that had more restrictions to pull back, right? We, we actually don't have that many. You can basically do whatever you want in the U.S. right now. However, there's still some, you know, limits on um, indoor gatherings in certain places. There's still masking requirements in certain places, certainly masking requirements in schools. And you've seen a prominent and, you know, um, uh, 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 well-regarded public health experts in the last few weeks making the case that after Omicron, it's really time to lift those in a really sweeping way. And and I, I, I think it's a live live debate and we're going to hear a lot about it over the next few weeks. And it's a regional debate as well. And in some cases, a state by state debate. Right. It's not as though the federal government can stand up tomorrow and say, OK, uh, it's over. And that's that's um, that's not how our system works. Right. Not at all. So Hal asks, which companies will benefit from the focus on testing? Well, that's a good question. You know, I mean, um, I, you know, companies like Abbott and Kiagen, I don't know how to pronounce that company's name, some private companies called Illume, um, number of companies out there that are selling larger and larger numbers of these uh, tests. Um, you know, and I think that one interesting question is whether the at-home COVID testing that we're seeing is going to be carried into other diseases if we'll start to I'll be able to buy at home flu, you know, rapid antigen tests to help us next time, you know, there's a real serious flu season out there. So it's an interesting area. Um, and uh, one in which, you know, the US seems to be putting more and more emphasis in the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Well, the government will be sending our, our test kits soon. When I say Kiagen, I think I mean Quidel. Sorry, I always confuse those two companies. Um, yeah, Quidel. I'm sorry. Okay, thanks for clarifying. So we have two questions about Moderna that I think are very interesting to pose together. Robert asks, what is the possibility of Moderna being acquired by one of the big pharmas? And Mike asks, is there a company Moderna could buy since it has all this cash to move its maturity and infrastructure growth forward? What's, well, they, what's the buzz on Wall Street about this? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I haven't heard a lot of conversation about Moderna being acquired. There's a number of, you know, barriers there. One of which is that it's uh, a pretty, that's <laughs> a pretty big company with a pretty substantial market cap, even after the pullback. And secondly, you know, it's only a really small universe of companies that could actually do that. You 
kind of got to think through who would, and it's not a long list. The second question, honestly, is, you know, whether um, that would get through the FTC at this point. Um, you know, it's been um, a lot of conversation in the FTC's leadership about pharmaceutical consolidation, and, and you just don't know. Um, that seems like a long shot to me, but uh, what do I know? And then but the idea of buying their way to maturity as opposed to growing it is somewhat alluring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know who you could buy that would give you that kind of infrastructure, but um, uh, they certainly, you know, have cash to do it if that's the route they choose to take. So interesting company, interesting questions, and we'll be watching it further. So I want to close briefly, Josh, by looking at the broader market. As we know, January was one of the worst Januaries on record for the broad stock market. How bad was it for the healthcare indexes? Well, look, it depends where you uh, where you look. I mean, as we've talked about before, and as it's gotten a lot of attention, it's been pretty bad out there for biotech. Um, the biotech ETF, the XBI, uh, is down 18% this year, um, which is uh, ap- comes after, a, I, th- I believe it was down 20% last year. So it's it's been pretty rough, and that's led to a lot of soul-searching and, and uh, interesting conversation to have at another time. Uh, elsewhere, you know, uh, it's kind of in line with the rest of the S&P. If you look at the healthcare center sector, index rather it's down five and a half percent while the s p itself is down three and a half percent um the pharmaceutical industry group is down 3.1 percent um so i think a lot of the focus on the 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 real hurt for investor for healthcare investors is on biotech because it's been so dramatically out of line with the rest of the market even well, <laughs> I, I think one of the issues is that there were so many biotech ipos last year yeah i know where where it's the there's a, a very challenging setup for investors where you just have an enormous number of biotech companies, many of them very immature, that the came out of the private markets onto the public markets, and they're not getting a lot of investor support from the investors who brought them on and and others. And you know, it's it's you know, sort of you start to wonder um, uh, if the market can be efficient when you have it's sort of impossible. It's impossible to follow for for even the most sophisticated investor to follow all of biotech right now. And, um, you know, it sort of raises questions about whether this is the best situation to get, you know, good research funded. Right. And as you say, it's a it's a broader conversation for another day, but we'll go down that road on another call. Thank you so much for your contributions today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, the focus will be very different. It will be on financial fraud. Market Watch financial crime reporter Lucas Alpert will speak with Ray Dukey. Managing Director of RK2 Integrity about what financial institutions are doing to battle fraud and stay in regulatory compliance. So with that, thank you everyone again for tuning in. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.